Good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to have you guys with us as we're in our series called The Struggle is Real. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about some of the struggles that we all deal with, that we're all trying to overcome in our lives, that are just happy to be out there. And some of the ones that we've covered in the last couple of weeks, we started with talking about our time and managing our time and having margin in life. And then we talked about finances and we talked about parenting a couple of weeks ago. And, and Randy came in here and spoke a great message about how to be great parents and raise kids so you don't have to struggle in that area. And then last week, Pastor Terry talked about health and how to be healthy, not just spiritually, but physically as well. And today we're, we're going to be dominating. We're going to be talking about just the, the struggle of trying to not have to deal with all the things that we're dealing with in life in the, in the sense of a lot of us, we try to be really, really strong in life. It's our natural tendency. It's our natural inclination, inclination just to go and be strong and to act like we've got everything together in life and, and be put on the tough uh, facade in life that, that, man, everything that's going on is great. And so when I was thinking this week, I was thinking about, like, who is somebody that I really embrace and really think about when, when I think about the word strength? And one name came to mind, probably because I'm a, I'm a product of the 80s, and that is Chuck Norris. I mean, Chuck Norris is like the man. When you think about strength, you think about Chuck Norris because there's an entire cottage industry today, all, all based on things uh, that people are making up about Chuck Norris. And I actually found a couple of them that I thought were pretty interesting. Check this out. Uh, Chuck Norris doesn't read books. He stares him down until he gets the information he wants. That's somebody that's strong right there. When you can stare down a book and get the information you want, come on now. That's pretty amazing. How about this one? When Chuck Norris does a push-up, he isn't lifting himself up. He's pushing the earth down. That is some strength right there. How about this one? Chuck Norris died 20 years ago. Death just doesn't have the guts to tell him. That right there, I, like that to me, I don't know why that is. That's just funny. Like anytime like death scared me, that just seems like a really cool thing. Anyways, uh, I like this one. When the boogeyman goes to sleep every night, he checks his closet for Chuck Norris. And then the best one of them all, this is my favorite. John. There it is. Chuck Norris doesn't turn butter. He roundhouse kicks the cows and the butter comes straight out. That right there is awesome. That is some strength right there. When you can roundhouse kick a cow and butter comes out, you know that strength is happening in your life. But for a lot of us, the reality is, is we don't feel real strong. While we're trying to put on the front that we've got it all together, a lot of us, man, we don't feel strong. Life is not acting like we got a lot of strength to it. In fact, most of us, the struggle really is real, is that a lot of us, we're living based on how we feel. Uh, and, and, and that's a terrible place to live because we have ups and we have downs and we have arounds and, and, and based on our feelings is how we're portraying like we don't feel like we can roundhouse kick a cow and butter comes out. We feel like the world is kicking us and nothing's coming out. Like we're done. We are toast in this moment. And it's so easy for us to just get in this mentality of man, like it just like life isn't going real well and I don't feel like anything's going my way and, and just to live based on those feelings and it's really easy for us to start to act like the way that we feel in life and that is a difficult difficult thing and, and so many of us were dealing with so many different areas that are struggling in our life right now and because they're struggling we feel really really weak in those areas maybe for some of us it's our parenting we've read all the books we've gone to the parenting seminars we've 
uh, going through the courses like growing kids God's way and we feel like we've done everything that we possibly can to raise our kids in the right way and yet they're going a totally opposite direction and we're like what the heck is going on and we just feel really really weak in that moment maybe for others of us it's the fact that our finances are just a mess right now and that if one more bill came in it would like completely topple everything and why we put on the front that man we're keeping up with the Joneses inside man we're just falling apart and we feel so weak in that moment because we know that at any moment everything can come crashing down. Maybe for others of us is that we're running so fast and so hard in life. We're just flat out tired. And, and everybody, every time somebody asks, how are you doing? You're like, man, I'm just tired. Like if you have one more appointment or you have one more thing that you have to put on your schedule, like it is just going to wipe you out. It's so easy to get caught up in, in living based on how we feel that we're like, man, I don't even know if I can go another day this way. And the good news is, is that God has a lot to say actually about this. And that God has a lot of hope for our situation. And so if you have your Bible today, I'd love for you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be hanging out there today. And I love Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is like kind of like coffee for your spiritual life. Man, you, you just need this in your life. In fact, I have, a, I have a mentor. Anytime I was having a bad day, he would tell me, go read Romans chapter 8. Go read Romans chapter 8. And if that doesn't help you, go read it for the next seven days. If that doesn't help you, go read it for the next month. And if that doesn't help you, he said, man, you just messed up. There's no hope for you. And, and no, he didn't actually say that. He, he actually told me my wood would be wet if, if it didn't work that way. And so um, he said, man, you, this is the verse, this is the chapter of the Bible that, that should encourage anybody that's following Jesus, man, just to go and run hard after him. Because no matter what situation you are in, man, this is like the ultimate encouragement chapter. And it says this in verse 1. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. He says, man, there's no condemnation. He's like, this is the best possible news that we can get. This is one of those verses that we should take and we should highlight in our Bible, circle, mark next to it, write it down on, our, on a piece of paper and stick it on our car or on a bathroom mirror to remind ourselves that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that word no there is a really, really significant word because that word in the Greek actually means it means it's outside the possibility or the realm of anything happening. That word no is saying like, listen, there is no possible way that there could be condemnation in your life when you are living in Christ Jesus. Like it's not capable if you're living in the fullness of who God is and who he wants you to be. Like that's just not going to be a part of your life. And so what it means is it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you. It doesn't matter what Elle Magazine says you're supposed to be living life because when you're in Christ, none of those other opinions or ideals or thoughts of you really hold any weight compared to what Jesus thinks of you. Oh, somebody shouldn't say that's right a whole lot better than that. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Like three of you are like, yeah, I've experienced this. It's awesome. The rest of us are like, oh. Like, that's a good word for us. Because Jesus has already done the work. And so for a lot of us, we're faced with a faith choice every single day. Am I going to believe and live based on how I feel in the moment or based on the circumstances of my life? Or am I going to live based on what Jesus says about me and what God's already done for me? That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, he says this. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. He says, my power works 
best in your weaknesses. He said, man, all you need in life is what I have. And the thing that I'm going to give you in abundance is grace. And here's the part that doesn't make sense to us because it's like when you're weak, that's when his power works best. That just doesn't make a lot of sense. Because I would think that like he would work best when I'm the strongest because then we would combine our powers and it would be even stronger. But he says, no, 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 that's not the way. He says, I, I operate a little bit differently. And he goes, he goes on to say, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, man, when I'm weak, when we're in our greatest moment of weakness, when we're feeling like the world is caving in around us, he says, man, that's where my greatest strength, God is saying this, my greatest strength is going to play out. And a lot of us are like, man, that's, that's great. Like when I, when I hear this and I just listen to myself say it, I say, man, that's great in theory, but how does that play out in real life? Like how does that practically help me right now in my moment where I'm feeling overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, when I'm feeling overwhelmed on, on the emotions that are going through in my life. And so practically, how do we do that? How do we experience his strength in our weaknesses so we don't have to live based on how we feel, but on who he is living inside of us? And so um, how do we do that? Number one, I think we've got to trade in guilt for grace. We've got to trade in guilt for grace. A few years ago, I, uh, there was a guy in our church that, that uh, he, was, he was extremely, extremely successful, uh, was doing really, really great things. His business was blowing up. He was, he was a leader here in our church, still is, still is a leader in our church. Um, and, and it was like I was sitting down with him having breakfast one day, and, and he was, I could tell something was going on, and it was just a little bit off because that wasn't normally what he was like. Normally he was gung-ho, he was fired up for life, and, I was like, dude, what's going on? And, and I was like, man, your business seems like it's blown up right now. And man, your your family is going so good. Man, your kids are just amazing. I see them running church every week, and it's awesome. And like, what what's what's happening? And he's like, man, I'm I'm living a lot. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I, I I put on this front that I'm following after God on this side, but I've got like a double life going on, and I, and, I, and I didn't really understand that because I, I I'm kind of a simple guy. I can barely live my own life, let alone two lives. Like that just doesn't work for me. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm living a double life, and I was like, well, what does that mean? And he, he dropped the bomb on me and he goes, man, I, I've been having an affair, and uh, and I was just I was stunned. And I was like, well, what, what's the status of that? He's like, I just broke it off. And, and I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my wife. And I was like, well, what time do you want to go over to my house? Because you're probably not going to be living anywhere uh, later this evening. And uh, he's like, how do I say it? And I, uh, I said, I've, I've never done that before, but I would go in there and be very, very broken and, and humble. And repentant of my decisions. And I was sitting there, just I was just crying with this guy, and I, I just looked at him and I said, Man, how does it how does it feel right now? He said, Man, it feels like a thousand pounds is off my back. I said, What do you mean? He's like, Man, I've been living life 
with, with this weight of guilt and shame. And constantly looking over my shoulder, just waiting for this whole thing to drop out. For waiting for everything to be exposed in life. And, and now that I just came and I just kind of just said it, man, it's... Let me just tell you something. His marriage is stronger today because he came clean and got real with his spouse and got real with God. And something happens in our lives when we go, God, here's where I'm at. And here's my struggle. And a lot of people think, like, God's there. He's going to condemn us and go, like, oh, man, you bad sinner. Like, you're bad, bad, bad. And he's going to throw you under the bus. But I believe that something divine happens in that moment where God intersects with our brokenness and with our pain and our shame and he starts to trade all that guilt for his grace. See, because God isn't there to condemn you of things that you've done. He already knows what you've done. He's there to embrace you in the moment and help you move past those things. That doesn't mean there are consequences to sin because there are. But there's also grace and forgiveness in the midst of those. And God, what he's wanting to do is he's not wanting to condemn us. He's wanting to train our guilt for his grace. You see, what happens for a lot of us is we go through life and we, we live based on uh, trying to be good. I know that this is the typical thing. We're told to be good all the time. As kids, we're told, be good, be good. Don't be bad. Be good, right? Like, don't be bad as bad. Good is good. We want you to be good. And so we're constantly telling you, you got to do the right thing. you got to say the right thing. you got to be a good boy. you got to be a good person. You've got to be nice to other people. And we're constantly, and those are those are good things. Like, we're not encouraging you to be, walk around and be mean to people or anything like that. But we're constantly battling with this idea of, like, we've got to be good. We've got to be good. We've got to be good. We've got to follow all of these rules. And we've got to follow all of these regulations. And we've got to do this. And we've got to do that to be accepted in life. But the reality is, is that no matter how much good I want to do, for some reason, and maybe this is just my problem, I suspect that it's your problem as well, as much as I want to do good, there are times that I want to do bad. Anybody else there with me? Like, as much as I want to do good rushing over here from our Pompano Beach campus, there was a guy that cut me off. You know what I wanted to do in that moment? I wanted to do some bad. I, as much good as I, as I like, I'm, I'm going to go... Please don't sin before you go preach. You're going to get struck down. Like, like I wanted to, I literally, I wanted to wake at him with a single finger. You know, like, it's just like, like my natural inclination was like to do this, not this. It wasn't like to say, oh, it's okay. I'm saying like, I'm not in a hurry. Like, would you like to come over my lane again? Like, that wasn't my natural propensity in that moment. My natural propensity was to rob his bumper until he saw me. And we made eye contact through his rearview mirror in my eyes and said, What's that? You know? It's just real. Struggle is real. But I know I'm supposed to do good. And so, like, I, I try to do good. Isn't this how I'm telling you, like, oh, man, I, I shouldn't do bad. I should do good. And so, I'm, God, God, if you will help me not to not to do that anymore, like, God, and this is our prayer. God, if, if you can get me out of this situation, how I feel right now, I will never do that again. And so we work hard and we're good for a day, a week, maybe two months. Maybe we make it a year. And then all of a sudden we fail again, right? 
And we go back and we do good and we do bad and we do good and we do bad and we go, man, I'm not going to lie anymore. And so we're, we're telling the truth all of a sudden and we're truthful, truthful, truthful. And then we just tell a little bit of, a little bitty lie and all of a sudden we're bad again. And then, oh man, and we're constantly going this back and forth. And what happens as Christ followers is this, we do this because we're supposed to be good. As Christians, we're supposed to be good people. We're supposed to be good, and we look around, and we see how much personally, how bad we are, and because of Facebook, and because of Instagram, and because of Twitter, and social media, all that we see are the highlight reels of everybody else's life, and how great, and how awesome they are. Oh, they're out serving and giving to the poor today. Oh, they're doing this for God, and they're doing that, and I'm cussing people out, and so because I'm doing that, like, I must not be good enough to be a part of the church. I must not be good enough to be a part of following after Jesus. And therefore, the greatest lie that the devil can do is he can lie to you and condemn you to think like you're not accepted and you're not loved. And your, and your sin is worse than everybody else's. And because you're not good enough, you can't be a part. And God's saying, listen, listen, it's not about how good or how bad you are because you're never going to be good enough to... to Win me over. It's all about the fact that God isn't here to condemn you. He is here to heap grace and love and mercy on your life. He isn't there to do all this guilt and shame. He's there to go and give grace to you. That's why Paul says in the, the previous chapter, he says, man, I try to do good, but I naturally do bad. And he, he goes on and he makes this statement. He goes, he goes, who can rescue me from this wretched body of death? Because he had a reality check of who he really was. He's saying, like, who can rescue me from me? Not like, who can rescue me from other people? Like, who's going to rescue me from myself? Hello, anybody else feel that way? Like, it's not the other people, it's me. And he goes on to say, thanks be to God who rescues me. What's interesting is that the wretched body of death, that, that was actually a, a term the body of death they would use in, in their time for, for corporal punishment. What would happen is if you murdered somebody or you killed someone, is they would take the dead body, the person that was murdered, and they would take them outside the city. And they would take the person who committed the crime, and they would take them, and they'd strap them face to face, chest to chest, legs to legs, with the dead corpse, and leave them outside the, outside the city to rot. And Paul is going, he's going, man, I'm face to face with the very thing that's killing me. The sin that's in my life, the guilt that's in my life, the shame that's in my life. I'm face to face with this. And as I look at it, it isn't something that's separate from me. It's something that's within me. Like, how am I going to get past this? How am I going to, who's going to free me from this? Then he has this, this divine moment where he's like, man, you know what? I can't free me from myself. Only God can do that. Like, you can't free you from yourself. Only God can do that. And how you do that is by trading in that guilt for His grace. It's by trading in and realizing that you are in a relationship with God. You are His, and He is, 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 you're with Him in every single aspect of what you do. You belong to Him. When you fail, when you screw up, when you make a mistake, our natural tendency is to run away from God. And God's saying, no, 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 don't run away from me. Run to me. Run to me. I'm not going to heap condemnation on you. I'm not going to heap 
all of those feelings of inadequacy and, and self-doubt on you, I'm going to pour grace on you. And when you come to me and you realize and go, God, this is where I'm weak, then all of a sudden you're going to tap into who I am and what I can do through you. And I'll give you the strength to go through the situation that you're facing in life. Because a lot of us, what, what, the reason why we don't run to God is because we think God's love for us is based on what we do. And here's the reality. God's love for us isn't dependent on anything we do. God's love for us is dictated by what Jesus already did on the cross. And the more we try to earn his love, the, the more we're missing out on the fact that all that God really, really wants is a relationship with us. That's why he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, like, when we're with Jesus, there is no condemnation in our life. That's why he says the gospel is the good news. And I'm just like you, man. I am constantly, constantly battling sin every single day of my life. Man, I struggle with sin just like all of you. And when I try to overcome sin on my own power, it's a constant, like, I'm doing really, really, really good, and then I mess up and I'm bad. I'm doing really, really, really good, and then I mess up and I'm bad. I do good, and then I mess up and I'm bad. When I'm doing it in my own strength, because in my own strength, I can't break the power of sin in my life. But in God's strength, like, I don't have to break the power of sin because he's already broken it. I can live in the fullness of who he is. And this is, this is what I want you to understand. When you think about sin and as a Christ follower, and I'm probably going to mess with some of y'all's theology right here. And, and if you don't know what theology is, this probably won't mess with yours. But uh, a lot of us, sin technically is sin is breaking the law. It's, it's missing the mark. That's a technicality. It's, it's an, actually an archery term. It would mean to have a bullseye there and you would pull back and you would shoot an arrow and you would miss the mark. You would not score. And so anytime in life you don't, aren't perfect, you miss the mark. And so technically it's like, it's like a capital offense. If you do something wrong, there's, there's a punishment to it. That, that fits the crime. And that's the technical way of looking at it. But I think God looks at it a little bit differently because he doesn't look at it from a, a capital offense perspective. He looks at it from a relational perspective. And so I look at it like this. I have a relationship with my wife. I love my wife more than I love anybody else on the face of this earth. But yet, there are times when I am harsh with her with my words. And I do wrong. And I sin. The sin isn't the problem in our relationship at that point. You know what? Want to know what the problem is in the relationship? Is that I've broken her trust by the words that I used with her. And she doesn't care about the words. She cares about her relationship with me and how I've damaged that relationship. And God isn't really concerned about how we're failing in life. He's concerned with how we're damaging his, our relationship with him. And so many of us, we're, we're concerned about doing right and wrong. And God's concerned with, like, how are you doing in your relationship with me? How is your heart in this moment? Like, what's happening inside of you? Because more than anything, God desires this relationship with us. And the more that we experience this grace and this love and this mercy of God, the more that we'll be in a deeper connection with God and we'll be empowered to fight the temptations of life, not because we're trying to do right or we're trying to stay away from wrong, but because we don't want to hurt our relationship. The reason I don't say harsh things with my, to my wife is because I don't want to hurt her, her feelings. Because I care about her, not about doing the right thing. I care about her. 
And God wants us to understand that it's, it's not about fighting out of this place of frustration. I'm trying to do the right thing, but it's trying to fight out of this place of like, man, I'm going to keep a relationship strong. And when we start trading all this guilt and all this shame and all this crap in our lives and say, God, man, I need your grace. All of a sudden, we're, we're opening ourselves up to allowing God to move in our lives. And for some of you, you, this is something you need to think in your heart because you've been living as a Christ follower for 5, 10, 20 years and you've been trying to do right and wrong. Like that's how you determine everything and you've, you've spent no focus on relationship with God. You've been just trying to follow rules and regulations. And you've missed out on the very heart of what God's trying to do inside of you, which he's trying to know you. Because we aren't defined by our weaknesses and how we feel. We're defined by God's grace living inside of us. And as we're defined by that, what we can do is, number two, is we can move forward in freedom. We can move forward in freedom. Romans verse 2 says this, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. He's saying, listen, there's this life-giving spirit. Jesus, when he died and he rose again and he ascended to heaven, he said, listen, I'm going to leave you with what he calls a helper. He said it's going to be a God for you that's going to help correct and train and guide you in life. And it's going to be the person of the Holy Spirit. He said what the Holy Spirit is there to do is it's there to help free you from the sin that holds you back. He's there to hold it. And, and when it comes to sin in our life, God isn't against sin just because it's sin. He's against it because sin always separates us. It always destroys something in our life. Anytime we have sin in an area, it always destroys that thing. It always causes something to die. Every time that we, we sin, it, it causes death in our lives. It destroys us emotionally. It destroys us physically. It destroys us uh, financially. We start making bad decisions in those things. That always leads to death in those areas. He said, man, that's, that's not what, like God isn't that concerned about that. He's concerned about what the, the repercussions of it are. And sin is one of those things that just gets us because sin, honestly, sin is a lot of fun. Come on, let's be honest. You can't tell me that sin isn't fun in that moment. Most of the time, most sin is really, really fun in that moment. And if it's not fun for you, you haven't been doing it right, okay? So, <laughs> problem is, is the consequences of sin that are not very fun. <coughs> Listen, drinking until 3 o'clock in the morning, at 3 o'clock in the morning is a lot of fun. But at 7 a.m. when you have to get up for work the next day with a hangover, the consequences of it are not very fun. Going to the club and hooking up with somebody for a one-night stand. During that time, that's a lot of fun in that moment. The walk of shame the next day is not very fun. Consequences. That's the reality. And God said, man, I'm going to free you from those consequences. I'm going to free you from the life of that. You know, in a couple of weeks here, we're getting ready to go into winter break for students, uh, middle school students, high school students right now. They're all counting down the days to winter break because it's like it's, it's exceptional freedom at that point. Anytime you can get out of school for a couple of weeks, that's what it's all about. Teachers right now, administrators. I had an administrator at the, uh, the last service I was at. Hot Bob me on the way out. He's like, I'm counting them down. There's I forget how many days he said it. He high-fived me. Um, but they're all counting them down. Elementary school kids, they're not counting them down right now. They still like school. Let's them stay innocent. Um, but uh, 10 days. 
thank you, thank you. I, I knew that there would be a teacher that would be like, we got 10 days left, okay? So they got 10 days left. They're counting them down. Why? Because when, when winter break happens, I remember when I was in school, when winter break would happen, I'd walk into my house with my backpack, I would drop it somewhere in my house, and it would be extreme freedom in that moment. Like, I don't know, care about school. I don't, it doesn't matter what's happening. Like, and for the next week, I would enjoy my freedom. To the max, like everything I could think of, everything I could do, I would go and do that. But then about a week after I've been out of school, parents, what do you hear your kids say after about a week being out of school? What are they? I'm bored. I'm bored. How the heck are you bored when there's yards to mow, uh, when there's houses to be cleaned? Like, I'll give you something to do. Like, that's like parents, like that should be, they will never be bored again. Yeah, some parents, some parents are like, that's a good idea. Chores all year long. But, but here's what I've discovered. Is freedom is only as valuable to the degree that you use your freedom. Freedom is only as valuable as the degree that you use your freedom. And for a lot of us, man, Jesus has set us free from some amazing things. But what's happened is, is, is we've gotten really, really bored spiritually. Some of you, you're, you're bored spiritually right now. You used to, when you first experienced Jesus, man, you used to wake up every day hoping that it was Sunday morning. You're like, man, I cannot wait to go worship God with corporately with a whole bunch of other people. Man, I can't wait to go and do that. It's going to be so awesome. And today you're just like, man, I'm just... Snooze, snooze, I'll just skip it and watch the Dolphins game today. It's kind of like worship. Some of y'all used to come in here and, and you, you experienced the freedom of God and you'd come in here and you'd worship with all of your heart and soul. You, it didn't matter what song it was, like you were giving it all to God. Now it's like, man, they're, they're not playing my song. They're not playing Oceans. I can't worship. <laughs> You used to get passionate about, like, not you guys, but other people. I've heard this. Like, you'd be like, every time the pastor would come up, you'd be like, man, I'm getting something today. And, like, today you're like, man, I don't get anything. You want to know why? Because you're spiritually bored. Because the degree to which you've been free, made free, is only the valuable is the way that you use it. And for some of you, you've gotten complacent in your walk with God. And you're wondering why you're not walking in fired up about those things. Because for a lot of you, you've based your entire spiritual walk off of a Sunday morning experience. But when you first gave your life to Jesus, you know what you did? As soon as you got home, you were reading your Bible every single day. You were saying, man, God is showing up in this thing. Every day I read it, and it's like he's talking to me, and you are spending time and, and praying. You are getting community and being in connect groups, and you're like, man, I can't believe like God's reading my mail every single day. And you would go, and you'd be in your car at a stoplight, and you'd be worshiping your guts out in the car, and you didn't care who saw you do it. But over time, you stopped doing those things that you expected just this little bit on Sunday to sustain your spiritual walk and you wonder why you're not feeling it and you think to yourself, man, if I could just go to that church or if we just played that song, 
then everything, like, I'll feel it then. No, you're not feeling it because you've stopped doing the daily disciplines that are necessary to have a, high, a healthy relationship with God. And you're bored. And what's happened is, as Christ has set you free, He's unlocked the cages that have held you back. You walk out and go, this is awesome! And then you walk back in the cage and you shut the door and you're like, I don't know why I'm not experiencing that anymore. But what are you doing? And the easy thing to do is, is, is to go, well, it's that church's fault. Like, they're not, they're, just, I'm, they're not feeding me. If I hear one more person say that, I'm going to punch them in the face. God. I don't care if you're at this church or another church. Like, listen, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you this right now. It is not the church's job to feed you. It's your job to pick up your fork every single day and put some food in your mouth. Only the people that are picking up their fork and putting it in their mouth are like preaching right there. Everybody else is like, what? No, it's, we've got to do something to grow in our relationship with God. There's, there's an opportunity. We have to make a choice that I'm going to pursue God. Let me, let me just tell you something. You go home this week and you start reading your Bible every day. You start praying every day. You start worshiping God on your own. I guarantee when you come in here on a Sunday morning or any other church in our community, I don't care what church it is, you're going to experience the presence of God and you're going to feel it. Why? Because you're cultivating a relationship with God. In fact, if you're not feeling it right now, I encourage you this week, go home, read Romans chapter 8 every day. Go home and start reading it and start praying over it and start going, God, I thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God, I thank you that I don't have to live on guilt and shame and how I feel that you were to take care of all that. And that because you've given me your Holy Spirit in verse 2, like, I'm free from all those things. Thank you for giving me freedom that I can live and experience that. And you know what you're doing is you're starting to walk in the freedom that he's already given you. You're starting to cultivate an opportunity for God to move and speak and, and do things in your life because you're doing something with your life. A lot of us are waiting on God to do something. God's like, I've already done it. I'm just waiting on you. Hello. And as we do that, number three, we can tap into a greater strength. Verses three and four, it says the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. What he's saying is, he's saying, listen, the, the problem isn't the law. Like the law was the Ten Commandments and the first five books of the Bible were considered the law in the biblical days. He's saying the law wasn't the problem. The problem was is that we weren't good enough to keep the law. That's the problem. The law, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is fine. Like the do good, these are bad, that's fine. But he says, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like our bodies, the sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So what Paul was saying is he's saying the law couldn't save us because we couldn't keep the law. We, our best was never good enough to do. We could not do all the good. We have the, this idea that no matter how good we were doing, we still want to do bad. He said because of that, we couldn't keep it. He said he would send somebody that was greater than that. And so God sent Jesus, who was perfect, who never broke the law, who lived it completely to the fullness of it. Every I was dotted and every T was crossed. 
He said, you know, because I sent him, that strength that was in him is now in our lives. Like we didn't have the strength to do it, but God had the strength to do it. Jesus had the strength to do it. That same power that's working inside Jesus is now working inside of us. And we can tap into that strength. This week I was thinking about this and I was... Uh, Thinking about Terry's message last week, and I was thinking about powerlifting because he likes to lift up, pick up heavy things. Not, not really for me. I like to do pull-ups and stuff, so it's not very heavy. And uh, I, I was looking up the world's strongest man. And then there's a guy named Zadrunas Zadikas. He's the world's strongest man. He's won the world's strongest man competition four or five times now. And this year at the Arnold Classic, which is the like ultimate heavyweight uh, powerlifter kind of championship, he did something that nobody else had ever done before. And so I want you guys to take a look at this. On the bar, for the first time ever in this competition, 1,155 pounds. that we feel weak in that moment, that we don't know how we're going to make it or how our kids are going to turn out, that, that God's going to see us through, or that, that, that area of our finances right now that just seems to be crumbling, and we're going to be strong and believe that God's going to see us through. 
And we're going to lean into his strength today. And here's the amazing thing about God is when we lean into his strength, you know what God does? Is he gives us the strength for that day. Now what we all want is that God will give us the strength for the next week. And some of us, we get enough strength for today and then we wonder why tomorrow we feel weak because God wants us every single day to go, God, I need to tap into your strength. Today. We use it up. Next day, God, I'm going to tap into your strength. Because you know what he's going to do? He's going to give you just enough for that day. We first started our our Pompano Beach campus on the first Sunday that we we had over there. It was a it was a crazy day. And there was a guy that walked in. His name was John, and, and uh, John walked in to our first service there. And he had a, he had a postcard mailer that we sent out and said, "Hey, I got this in the mail, and I'm supposed to come to church." He didn't know that it was just an invitation. It wasn't like a declaration to come to church. But like we were okay with that. And, and John walked in with like. Uh, it was like a monster energy drink, but it was a beer. Uh, and, and so John walks in with his postcard mailer from us and a beer. He's like, where am I supposed to go? And he's at a movie theater. He's like, this is great. And, uh, and so we, we show him around and he's drinking his beer. And he goes in and he sits in the, the movie theater has elevated seating. So I'm looking up at everybody. And he sits over in this section, like the third or fourth row. And, and I remember I was speaking there, and every time I look over at this guy, he'd just be chugging on his beer. And uh, I was thinking, man, he's having a good time. He's not getting anything out of this. And uh, so, uh, and so at the end of the message, like, like we do here almost every week, I said, man, everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. And uh, gave the opportunity to to know Jesus. And John's sitting there. And, he he raises his hand. Actually, he doesn't raise his hand. This hand has his beer. He raises this hand. And I, I want to accept Jesus. And I remember after that service, he went down to talk to one of our elders named Kevin. And uh, he walks down with his empty beer can and he hands Kevin the beer. And he says, man, I, I want to live for Jesus. I've been an alcoholic all of my life. All of my family was an alcoholic and I want to be free. And he opens up a fanny pack uh, and pulls out another beer. And uh, I guess he thought if the service didn't go real well, he was prepared. You know, like it was going to go well for him no matter what. So, and uh, he, hands, he hands Kevin this other beer. And so Kevin's standing there with two beers in his hand. And he's like, he's like, let's pray. And, uh, <laughs> and I think about that. And, and I think about Jesus. And I think about church. And the reality is this. John walks into 99% of churches or walks in around a whole bunch of Christian people 99% of the time, he probably would have been condemned right there in that moment. He would have never gotten past the doors because he had a struggle that was really real in his life. We've later found out that John struggled with alcoholism his entire life. But because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, see, we didn't need to condemn him because we let the Holy Spirit do the work inside of him. We let God's word to go forth and be a place where, where the sun sets free would be free indeed. And John, why he still stumbles and falls periodically, John is living today, <coughs> breaking free from the addiction of alcohol in his life. And the same thing that happened in John's life can happen in your life, where you're weak 
where you're struggling to live based on how you feel right now, God wants to come in. He wants to take away your guilt. He wants to set you free and allow you to live not based on the law and a whole bunch of rules and regulations, but based on a relationship with Him. Let's pray. God, we just come before you. This is what I know is that man, we all struggle with living based on how we feel. And maybe there's some people in here today that they've been around church for a long time or they've been around religion for a long time and they've missed out on this dynamic opportunity to know God and to know that God wants to know them and it isn't about them following rules and regulations but it's about them experiencing a relationship with their creator and their heavenly father maybe today you've, you've never experienced that or maybe you experienced it a long time ago and today you need to, you need to experience that again in your life with every head down and every eye closed, if, if that's you in here today, man, I would just ask that you would just lift your hand up real quick. I'd love to pray with you and, and believe God. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Been struggling? Thank you. There's another group I want to pray for as well. Maybe you're in here and you've gotten spiritually lazy or complacent and you're not experiencing the fullness of God's freedom here today. You, you stop doing the daily disciplines that have helped you to experience the fullness of who He is and you're only feeling it every once in a while now and, and you realize that, man, today's the day that I need to run back and I need to run after God and allow Him to be my defender, allow Him to be my strength rather than trying to take control of the wheel and running my life. You just slip your hand up. I'd love to pray for you too. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of you. I figured that. But if you guys would just pray this in your heart as I'm praying out loud, God, we just come before you. And we thank you that 2,000 years ago you sent your son to die on a cross so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly. And three days later, he rose again. Defeating death, defeating the grave, defeating sin and shame in our lives. And God, we don't have to live with those things anymore. We just hand that over to you. Because we thank you that there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. And as we acknowledge who you are and what you did and say, God, I want you to come in and be my Lord and Savior. God, you come and you take over, God. And I pray that we would passionately pursue you. We would not allow ourselves to get complacent in our relationship. That we would not experience just this vision of freedom, but we would experience the fullness of the freedom that you have for us today. God, if we would break free from the chains we put on ourselves to fully surrender and run after you with all of our lives. God, we love you here in this place. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Hey, Coastal. I am so loving the season that our church is in and what God is doing in this place. In fact, I was reminiscing back to the very beginning when Shayla and I were just trying to figure out where it was that God was calling us to plant a church and where, where it was that He wanted us to reach people at. And I remember driving through Coconut Creek with a friend of mine who was trying to convince me to move down here and, and driving by Winston Park Elementary School and having this divine moment with God. In fact, I remember this little kid threw a ball over the fence and I remember asking my friend Devin to stop his car and jumping out and grabbing this ball and throwing it back over the fence. And when I did, I'll never forget what happened because this little boy yelled out, thank you so much 
you're our savior. And right in that moment, it was like God spoke in one of those divine moment kind of voices. And he said, you know what? You're not their savior, but these kids, these families, this community, they need to hear about the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And I know right there that God was like, this is the place that you're to come to start a church. And let me just tell you, over the last five years, God has done that. We have seen incredible things as we've made it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church, specifically when it comes to children and youth. In fact, our kids' areas are blowing up across all of our campuses. And I love what God is doing in those places, that we really are creating environments and creating places where families can grow and they can develop and they can discover who God wants them to be in those places. And over the last couple of weeks, you've, you've heard some testimonies of the Moss family and the Bennett family, and you've seen what we're doing not only here in America, but across the world in Africa. And on December 14th, we have our greatest gift offering coming up. And this offering really is all about the next generation. It's about creating those environments and expanding those environments so that we can welcome more kids and more youth into our church so we can help them discover their identity, so we can help them discover their purpose, but more than anything, that we can help them discover that there is a God that absolutely loves them and is with them and is going to guide their life. And so what we're asking you to do is we're asking you to take these cards and we're asking you to pray. We're not asking you to give, we're asking you to go pray and ask God and say, God, what would you have me to do to invest in the next generation? What is the part that you want me to play? You know, I was really taken back this past week. I had a, a early 20-something come to me and say, Pastor TJ, can I talk to you about the greatest gift offering? And I was like, sure. And this young lady came to me and she said, you know what? I really feel like God is calling me to, to sell my iPad and give to the greatest gift offering. And I was blown away by that. Number one, because I know that this generation, their connection point is technology. They connect with one another through technology. And for her to sacrifice on that level is a huge sacrifice. But what struck me even more was the fact that she was willing to give up her connection to technology so she could connect people to God. And that's what it's all about. It's always been about loving God, loving people, and showing it. And so church, I pray that as you pray that we would hear from God and that we would be obedient and we would bring the very best gift that we can at the greatest gift offering and see what God wants to do, not only in our church today, but in our church tomorrow. Because what we have coming up on the horizon is absolutely incredible. Man, I love being your pastor and I can't wait to see what God's going to do in us and through us in this next year.